Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Homage to the Buddha, the blessed, noble, and fully self-enlightened one. Um, I wanted to, you know, bring all the teachings a little bit together for you using a, a schema that the Buddha himself um, seems to have liked very much. In fact, um, he said until he'd understood the world this way, he hadn't attained the unsurpassed perfect enlightenment. So these three moments are um, important. Uh, they're translated as gratification, danger and escape and I'll read the, uh, the discourse it's only a little thing O monks, I set out seeking the gratification in the world whatever gratification there is in the world that I have found I have clearly seen with wisdom just how far the gratification in the world extends I set out seeking the danger in the world Whatever danger there is in the world, that I found. I have clearly seen with wisdom just how far the danger in the world extends. I set out seeking an escape from the world. Whatever escape there is from the world, that I have found. I have clearly seen with wisdom how far the escape from the world extends. And then, to complement that, in another discourse, he says... If, monks, there were no gratification in the world, beings would not become enamoured with the world. But it is because there is gratification in the world, beings become enamoured with it. If there were no danger in the world, beings would not become disenchanted with the world. But because there is danger in the world, beings become disenchanted with it. And if there were no escape from the world, beings could not escape from it. But as there is an escape from the world, beings can escape from it. So, <clears throat> this little uh, schema, gratification, um, danger, and escape. Yeah. So, none of this will come as you, to you as a surprise. <laughs> it's, it's what you've been sort of listening to uh, all the time you've been here. So this word gratification, I, I looked it up, you see, because I think it's a good translation. I've tended to use the word satisfaction, uh, but Bhikkhu Bodhi uses this word gratification. I mean, he does translate this particular Pali word with it, but I think it's actually a better word in a way, some ways anyway, than satisfaction. And I looked it up in the dictionary, and um, it gave two examples. She was gratified to see the shock in Jim's face. <laughs> And uh, one that shouldn't surprise us, a thirst for sexual gratification. So this, <laughs> this word gratification, I think, has a, a slightly stronger meaning than satisfaction. It's, uh, it suggests that sort of compulsive behaviour or a sort of demanding nature about the desire, about desires that we have. And um, so I, I just think it's a, probably a slightly better word for us than... than uh, 
gratification than satisfaction. Uh, let me just uh, just a minute. I think there was another discourse there. So now if we go back to the Buddha's own particular, you know, life story, um, there is that time, there's a little incident which comes up when he's, uh, uh, you know, having um, a good time, uh, sort of sex, drugs and rock and roll, and he's just had a party, and he wakes up in the middle of the night and he sees all these uh, men and women, uh, all dishevelled and saliva dripping from their... <laughs> He goes into great detail of how disgusting it was. And uh, it's that when he wakes up from the gratification that he's had from the party before. Hmm? So there's something about um, the search for gratification in the sensual world. Now, now why is it that we, we seek um, you know, happiness there? Why is that? See, there's no denial on the Buddha's part that there is gratification in the world. You know, I mean, there is gratification in, in ice cream and Costa coffee and all those things that, that we um, enjoy. So there is gratification. It's not that he denies that. It would be foolish of him to do so. Yeah. And what is it that uh, draws us to that then? Why is it that we seek it there? So if we go back a little bit into, say, the sequence of our psychology, remember that we're born into this frame, we're born into this body. And right from the beginning, uh, you know, we're seeking milk because we, it's nice to taste and it comforts us. Seek the touch of our mothers. Hmm? So there's, a, there's an immediate connection uh, right there, even in the womb, they say, you know, with the voice of, of your mother and things like that where uh, that unborn and the born child uh, finds pleasure, finds pleasure. And this, this pleasure isn't just physical, is it? It's, it's actually an emotional well-being, a well-being of being protected uh, and of being close to some other being. So it's right there at the beginning of our experience, I think. Now, it's no... Uh, shouldn't uh, be strange for us to realize or to, to accept that right there even though it's not an intellectual thing there's an immediate there's a total identity with that experience yeah? there's an identity with it I mean obviously the child's not saying this is me <coughs> it's just the way they experience life is a total identity with what, with what they are experiencing and I think that goes on uh, I would say an ordinary person would say they are what they experience in that total I identity way, and uh, what we what we what we tend to do, isn't it, is to try and develop comfort around us. We want to be comfortable, even in our sitting posture. If it gets a bit comfortable, there's that urge to move. You know, if you watch yourself watching TV, sometimes there's a shuffle here and there. See, as soon as it becomes slightly uncomfortable, we move the body. Even at that sort of very basic physical level, we're always trying to be comfortable. Hmm? 
and when it comes to the more delightful things you know uh, you know the, what we eat and our friendships and, and all that um, then there of course there's, a, there's an added factor of a real delight yeah, there's, there's, there's loveliness in life there's beauty in life there's, there's all the things that we enjoy all these things the Buddha wouldn't have denied he said, it's, it's, it, there is gratification there is gratification so if you go through the whole gamut of your experiences in life where um, you know you've been happy um, from just ordinary basic things like eating to you know lovely times in relationships and, and being out in the country and listening to beautiful music and in the meditation sometimes these beautiful states of mind arise all that is as it were given I mean they're going to come hopefully till we die it's not a not as though they're going to disappear because we meditate at least I hope not <laughs> so, so there's always that uh, there's always that part of life which gives us uh, you know comfort, pleasure, joy all those things and even in our meditation you know we're trying to develop these factors of enlightenment to the point where they are just the way we are so there is that calmness and there is that uh, equanimity and an openness and what that means of course that there's no fear it's fear what stops us being open isn't it and there's uh, uh, just an attention a quiet attention to things and then there's the uh, the four great Brahma Viharas the dwelling place of the of the Brahmas the great gods um, perhaps better understood as the illimitables love, compassion, joy and peace so that's the Buddha mind or the Buddha heart shall we say is always in that sort of state I think sometimes we get the impression through the coolness of vipassana meditation that, that you end up being sort of soulless or emotionless sort of a, well, a bit like a, like a dried prune I suppose <laughs> but very wise well I mean it isn't like that is it <laughs> the, Buddha, uh, the Buddha says he feels joyful feels happy he feels uh, compassionate yeah so uh, his his experience of life at the emotional level is always in, in these lovely beautiful states always in these beautiful states but somehow he uh, he's not fooled by it he's not in this sense he's not gratified he's not gratified so um, what is it that makes this gratification in the joys and pleasures of life um, unsatisfactory not not in the end gratifying so um, basically very simple isn't it they, the fact they arise and pass away you know just when you think you've got everything sorted um, you know somebody chucks a spanner and that's, <laughs> that's the end of it you know you, you try and build up a life which is uh, meaningful and fulfilling you know a good job a relationship and all that and then uh, you know your, your partner dies which is <laughs> or they leave or the job suddenly disappears so you can't there's nowhere you can sort of rest I love uh, I love the sayings of Jesus on that you know the, the birds have their nests and the foxes their holes but the son of man has nowhere to put his head and I think that's it isn't it there's nowhere there's nowhere in this world that a human being is going to be is going to be comfortable in that total way hmm? And then when we come to investigate the psychology around pleasure, 
then we see all these all these uh, downsides the frustration when you know like because of the attachment that you've built to it because of the dependency on what's giving you happiness um, there comes that uh, frustration when you can't get it yeah? and there's the uh, the fear of losing it you know and all the insurance that we, we have to buy in order just in case we do lose it so we can buy another one yeah and then there's the uh, the grief of course when you do lose it <laughs> so there's a whole a whole messy psychology in the aftermath of having uh, of having indulged in something that's that's very pleasurable or joyful and uh, and that sort of connection that identity you see is the root cause isn't it it's because I'm saying I am you know I am or I have there's that there's that peculiar connection with things that we have which is uh, it's very subtle uh, but it manifests mainly in uh, you know in, in these negative emotions and that indulgence hmm? so it's it's catching that it's understanding that that we begin to see the danger see there's the danger of it in fact these things these things hurt and then uh, having seen that danger you know one seeks for the escape so that's the Buddha. So he uh, he saw the danger of uh, the emptiness, the, the vacuity of sensual pleasure. It wasn't going anywhere, you know. And that's when he leaves, and he's prepared even to leave, um, you know, his wife and his kid, his, his young, just his child that was just born. So I mean, those those sorts of decisions wouldn't have been taken lightly, would they? I mean, uh, people are called away from their families for various reasons, for war. Yeah? Many women go to war, um, uh, and in this case, uh, the Buddha felt, or the Bodhisattva would have been then, uh, just just compelled to go and try and, and work out what was, you know, what was at the the core of his of his deep seated unhappiness. And I think when you get to that level, you're really at the sort of uh, an existential level of suffering. And what I mean by that is, you know, questions of, you know, why am I alive and why am I conscious? And in, in the Buddha's uh, more immediate uh, experiential question, uh, why am I suffering? Why am I suffering? Couldn't work it out. Um, when we do in the evening, when we go through these uh, recollections on sickness, old age and death, you know, which refer back to uh, the mythical sort of way that they explain that the Buddha slowly came to uh, awoke really to these factors of life you know seeing somebody who was sick old and die while he was out uh, in his chariot uh, remember he also sees an ascetic he also sees this ascetic sitting under a tree and that um, that awakens in him you know is there is there an escape is there a possibility of an escape Now, just going back a little bit on uh, on the psychology of this, remember that um, because of this deep identity that we have with this life form, with being a human being, there isn't just that side of greed. There isn't just that side of lust and uh, and seeking happiness in the sensual world and uh, indulgence. You can put it all as indulgence or acquisitiveness. Um, as soon as we've done that, remember, as soon as we hold on to something, uh, we put a sort of fence around it, we put a barrier around it. And that defines 
what our pleasures are. So anything beyond that boundary becomes unpleasant. Right? It becomes something that we don't want or we don't need. <coughs> so our attitude to something which is unpleasant <coughs> but which is neither here nor there is to ignore it. <coughs> That's what we mean by neutral feelings. We don't, uh, we don't get particularly angry about it. We just, we just don't notice it. <coughs> but as soon as these things outside this fence, outside this boundary, begin to uh, look a bit dangerous to us, look as though it's undermining what we own and what we identify with, then, then you start getting this, the, the negative things of aversion, you know, the pushing away and the, the anger and the hatred and the spite and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that all comes under this, this business of aversion. And in our meditation, it's boredom. That's, that's an averse state. Be bored. And included in that, remember, is that when these things that seem to be undermining us, seem to be overpowering us, then we start getting this other side of anxiety and fear. And it all comes down to this basic position of seeking gratification in the world. And then once we've, once we've established in, in childhood this way of behaving, then you can see how it moves into a, a different, a, another layer of psychology when we hit the whole problem of, of good and evil. See? So when we do good and we attach to it, then of course you get into this, uh, the business, the, the downside of, um, uh, of really using compassion, using love, using sympathetic joy in order to make yourself happy. So when the other person, for instance, doesn't appreciate what you've done, then you feel hurt, you feel broken, you feel, <laughs> you feel angry. Things like that, you know, what I've done to you and all that. <clears throat> and uh, and uh, on, on the other side, you've got this fear. Uh, sorry, on the other side, uh, you've got the evil, right? Evil in the, in, in the sense of doing what is harmful. It can be something rather unskillful, you know, which, which is neither here nor there but we're capable of doing great evil, you know, really doing something which is tremendously harmful, both to ourselves and to other beings. And then you get into all that other psychology of guilt and shame and remorse and, and all that. And you can see how all this builds up, up and up and up, until you get, you know, this massive human suffering stuck in this fathom-long body, as the, <laughs> as the Buddha would, uh, would call it, this fathom-long body. Um, and it all begins from this, this mistake, this, this unfortunate mistake we make at the beginning of seeking gratification in, in the world, in the sensual world. So all those things are all, are all linked, they're all, they're all there. And of course, when, when you suppress them, when you don't push them away, uh, sorry, when you push them away, when you, when you don't want to look at these turbulences, these negative turbulences within us, well, that's when they manifest as feelings of depression. It's feelings of depression and, and um, you know, tiredness and, and lethargy and all that. All those are, you know, like push them away. I don't want to see them. Keep them away. So when you're meditating, of course, all this starts to come up, doesn't it? You know, it's like, I think I say on one of the tapes, like lifting a lid off a dustbin. So you suddenly it all comes up. So suddenly the depression comes up now, you know, and, and you've, got to, you've got to see it as a consequence of past conditioning, yeah. you've got to see that actually you, you know, we've manufactured this. This isn't come because uh, you know 
your mother hit you around the, the ear with a banana when you were three years old or something <laughs> she might have done but <laughs> it's how you reacted to this banana which is which is causing all this problem okay? now that, do, that doesn't mean to say that you know uh, childhood is, is is fraught with um, it's fraught with both ecstatic joy and, and disaster and it needn't be that any any parent has actually uh, physically or purposefully done your harm you can just fall off a bed and it would be a <laughs> catastrophe which remains as a trauma inside you uh, but even so uh, there is that how the child has reacted and there's that continuation of all those things that we learn in childhood throughout life you see until it, until we get really bad, and then and then we look, and we try and find an answer. We come to meditation. So, uh, <clears throat> when we are when we're meditating, you see, we're opening the gates. We're sort of opening ourselves up to all the stuff that's been suppressed and all that. But also from this, uh, you know, from this understanding, we're beginning to see the danger of this wrong relationship we have to the world. And it's seeing that danger, you see, which is uh, which is painful. It's hard to it's hard to sit with it. It's hard to bear with some of the stuff that comes up. But um, there's no other way. It's uh, there's there doesn't seem to be any other way of uh, of curing our psychology except in this conscious way. You know, uh, drugs don't help. They just suppress. They just suppress the physical frame, don't they? And then, you know, you feel good, but when the drug passes, well, it's even worse. See, there doesn't seem to be... I don't know of any of any spiritual practice whereby you don't have to go through this purging, you know, purgatory. Um, the process of purification. It's just a, it's just a matter of fact. Hmm? But if you understand it as a growth in consciousness, as a growth in wisdom then you say there's no other way because how else would you know you know that the gratification is wrong how else would you know that there is danger how else would you how else would you seek the end of uh, the end of suffering see? so if you if you see your life as more to do with an evolution of wisdom or an evolution of consciousness right perhaps the word wisdom is is far better actually an evolution of wisdom and not to confuse wisdom with uh, you know with knowledge Wisdom is a, a relationship. It's how you relate to the world you're in. That's that's your wisdom. Hmm? And if you see that that that's what that's what you're doing through your meditation is to uh, discover a, a wiser way of being with the world, <clears throat> then in a sense you're prepared to sort of go through the purgatory. Hmm? And also, I think when you when you actually go through the purgatory, when you actually see that it is. A process of healing, you're more and more open to actually going through it. See? So that's important. It's important that you you actually see that there is gratification, and that somehow something goes wrong with that. And this is what we mean by indulgence. Whether it's indulgence in something which is um, uh, you know pleasant, or indulgence in something which is outwardly unpleasant, like anger. But it is pleasing to let go of your anger and you know bang the door and bump somebody on the nose that's very pleasing great gratification <laughs> finally get your own back I mean <laughs> but it's not but it's not uh, you know it's not it's not particularly skillful it's not particularly wise so um, 
it's it's actually beginning to see that uh, that we begin to see the path out you see and that's the that's the next business of it the nisarana the escape you see if there were no escape from the world then uh, boy it'd be miserable wouldn't it I mean you know most uh, and, and people who get themselves into these dead ends you know these oh I don't know these sort of dead ends of, of um, the meaninglessness of life you know or if or a religious person I've met a few people who think they're damned and what do you do they're damned now in Buddhist terms that's to under, that's to really believe that there's no escape from samsara that whether you like it or not you'll be reborn and reborn reborn uh, you know first as a shrew in a meditation room and then you get chucked out with a bit of cheese on the <laughs> out in a paddock <laughs> and then you're reborn as a human being picking up a shrew and chucking it out in the garden <laughs> and this this sort of constant samsara this onward going and uh, in the in the Buddha's day that was the horror I mean that was it wasn't ecological disaster it was it was this thing about having to be reborn and reborn and reborn again and uh, there's a lovely conversation in one of the scriptures I can't remember the details now where where two of the Buddha's cousins if I remember rightly decide that they are discussing whether to go uh, whether to actually take up the uh, whether to follow uh, Gautama and, and take up the robe and bowl and um, uh, the argument goes something like look um, what is life you're going to all you have to you've got to go out there you've got to plough the ground you've got to harvest the seed then you've got to eat it and then you do it again next year and it's really boring and one of them one of the uh, um, one of them gets really into this and says yeah you're right you know, <laughs> and he goes off but the other fellow says no it's for you I'm still I'm still enjoying this <laughs> so, but he doesn't leave you see he's still getting he's still getting something out of this out of the life form but it was this fellow who was pointing out to this man who finally leaves how terrible life is in this sort of you know boring repetitious way which I think would have been more um, perhaps more obvious to people in those days in in, in some ways anyway uh, because there wasn't this huge entertainment industry it reminds me of um, <clears throat> an old uh, pre-war comedian uh, no, no, it was on TV. That must have been post falling <laughs> And he's uh, he's going to jump. He's on a London bridge, and he's going to jump in. And the policeman sees him, and uh, he says, he says uh, "You know, oi, oi!" And he calls him over. You see, and and they start having this big discussion about life. You see, as to why uh, suicide, and the policeman's arguing, you know, that life's worth it, and. And the, the comedian is, is arguing, you know, how useless it is, you know. And the conversation goes on and on. And they finally jump, both of them jump off the bridge. <laughs> oh, that, was, that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And this young fellow jumps off with him. So, um, this finding of the escape, so that's the Buddha's great... Um, uh, great thing, isn't it? And he, he says that what he's discovered, he's, he's not invented it. Uh, you know, he says this is an ancient path. He's just rediscovered it. It's not as though he's, <coughs> you know, he's the first human being that's ever done it. He doesn't claim to be that. In fact, in in the mythology of Buddhism, there are Buddhas previous to him, going back I don't know how many times. Twenty-eight. There are twenty-eight previous Buddhas named in previous huge eons of, of world systems. You know, <coughs> um, 
it was just the way that you begin to think when you think of, of time being cyclic. I think I mentioned it this morning that you know the years just roll over, it just keeps going and the, the whole universe is expanding and then it'll collapse and then it expands again and then collapse, you know. So there's that idea that this has been going on ever since. He, he says that he doesn't see the beginning of karma. He doesn't see that there is a beginning. It's always been like this. And uh, presumably in that sense he doesn't see the end of that process. Uh, but as an individual he found an escape. Now this escape is not... Um, let's be careful here because this escape um, as hopefully you've all come to uh, realise in your meditation is not the destruction of the world. There's a very interesting discourse in which somebody asks him where do the four Mahabhutas come to an end? Now the, the four Mahabhuta, the four elements, the four great elements, um, they are earth, fire, water, and air, and they constitute the physical universe. <clears throat> so what the person is asking is, you know, where does all this come to an end? You see, and he says the wrong question. He says, where do they not find a footing? It's very interesting. Where do they not find a footing? In other words, is there an experience? Is there something experiential where you will not find these? but it doesn't deny their existence or destroy them or annihilate them. And then he goes on to say, there is a consciousness which is uh, uh, not touched by the five or six senses. So there is a, there is a consciousness which is not coloured by the six senses. So there's no hearing and there's no seeing and there's, no, there's nothing there, there's no thought, there's nothing. And yet it is without boundary and the, the the reason it's without boundaries because there's no phenomena. Yeah, you've got to have something to create a boundary. If there's nothing in this universe, then it's it's empty space. There's no boundary in it. It's what it's what we have, uh, the things we have that create boundaries for us. And he says there is this concept which is without boundary and in all directions, full of light. Okay? So he's pointing there to an experience which is a total escape. Um, from the world. Now remember that when we say an escape, he's still there. It's not as though he's disappeared in a puff of smoke and there's just this sort of mystical voice <laughs> arising from nowhere. So this escape is not is not the destruction of anything. So again, when when uh, he says, you know, when they ask him, uh, what is this? Does he believe in any form of annihilation? He says no. He says there is no. He said everything arises dependent on something else, and there's there's no there's no annihilation. He says the only things that are annihilated are greed, hatred, and delusion. Okay? And greed, hatred, and delusion are this way of expressing this wrong relationship we have to the world, which, in a psychological sense, is this seeking gratification, and that's what he means by this desire. That's what when we chant in the morning this tanha. That's what he's referring to. Okay? But. Uh, remember that uh, there's a completely different psychology and that's the psychology of the Buddha that's the psychology of the, of the enlightened being which doesn't have that uh, downer it doesn't have that gratification it doesn't have all the downers of gratification you know the grief, the fear, the, anger, the frustration all that sort of stuff it doesn't have that it doesn't have any anger it doesn't have any fear the fearless one that's, what we, that's one of the epithets of the Buddha he's fearless What's he afraid of? There's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no connection to the world whereby uh, 
suffering could arise. Yeah? How does suffering arise? It arises through the connection of attachment, identity, possession. If that's all gone, what then is our relationship to the world? Yeah? What could it? What might it be? So that escape, that escape is suggested is suggestive of all the teachings of the Buddha concerning the practice, which leads us to this point of liberation. It's an escape. It's a, you know, it's like it's like uh, escaping from prison. It's like like you're you're finally released. So now this is where our practice comes in because it's uh, it's a fundamental practice, and what we're learning is not only to see that gratification is wrong because it has these dangers hmm, but we're seeing this escape and that's all we're doing we're just seeing where the escape is and the more the escape becomes clearer to us then the more we'll practice because it's like you know when 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 you see uh, the finishing line you really want to go for it yeah see? so um, even in our practice when uh, we're confused or when we, we, don't, we don't think we're getting anywhere or we don't think we're progressing. I mean, that's, that's a regular one for meditators because, uh, you know, you, you still keep you know, doing these pratfalls and you think, <laughs> you think well, I, I'm still as I was before, you see. So if you have those sorts of feelings, those sorts of ideas about yourself, remember that all those come from this gratification. You're now seeking gratification, as it were, in the spiritual life meaning you're seeking a certain type of comfort there and that comfort usually comes from the sense of achieving See? but if you if you abandon those ideas of trying to achieve anything and draw that word simply into moment to moment mindfulness then you're always achieving as, as long as you're mindful you're always here See? and that mindfulness that sharp mindfulness is a guard because as, as we begin to realize the problem begins or starts with these intentions so when we see these intentions and we're awake we're, we're bright with it and we're not caught up in it we're not sort of suddenly dashing off and doing something yeah then that gives us that moment of choice and that and then we begin to see oh here's the escape here's the escape And uh, when we access that point within us, which is the observer, so that's not the fullest escape because there's still a sense of me there, but we can see that that's an escape from all the pain that the body might offer us. Yeah, Because from there we can feel the pain, we can see the reaction to pain, we can allow the reaction of fear and aversion all that to die away and we can find this equanimity, this peacefulness with pain, just this just this patient forbearance and that's an escape it's an escape from from all the fear and the and the anxiety that that we have around the body it's the same with these emotions when you distance them when you can feel them there rather than being them it's an escape isn't it you've transcended them you're in a different position you're not you're not identifying with them you're not possessing them you're saying oh look there there's anger See, there's grief, there's uh, depression. And it's seeing that clearly that, the, that we begin to say, oh, here's the escape. Yeah, here's the escape. It doesn't mean to say at all, does it, that it's easy, very, it's very difficult, in fact, to stay with these uh, mental states as they arise. But the more we see that this is the escape, the more we'd be happy to stay there. The more we see it actually as a place where uh, there's healing going on. 
and then finally you know yeah, all, all this takes a long time so uh, there's always that there's always going to be that little bit of self left right to the bitter end it's not going to let go uh, so there's always going to be these pratfalls on the way there's always going to be there's always going to be moments when we feel we've slipped back and and we're not we're not moving forward and all that but we have to keep reminding ourselves that you know this is this is um, an onward going this is a, a long term commitment I mean, you know, in in, uh, in, the, in in the Buddhist sense, and we're talking lifetimes, not just not just talking this life. So it's a, a whole process that we're going through. So um, there we have it. These uh, these three sort of um, ways of looking at our practice. You know, to be aware of where we're seeking comfort, where we're seeking gratification, uh, to see that greed, that lust, the avarice. We've got lovely, got great big words for all that. You know, all centering around uh, you know, the four great, the four great lusts. You know, power, riches, fame, fame. To be famous, powerful, and rich. Everybody wants to do that. Don't they? <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty simple. And what do you want to be? I want to be famous, powerful, and rich. And uh, sensual pleasure. They're, they're your four main areas, aren't they? And it's just to see how the mind is constantly sort of moving that way. It's always, it's always trying to achieve that, that particular state. Hmm? And uh, that renunciation, you see, is the, is the point where we allow that, that desire to, to just fade away. To just begin to release itself, and as I've pointed out in the morning, this, you know, to let to let any desire fade away, and then just just to stay with it long enough to see what the mind is, what the heart is, when there's no desire there. See that that lovely contentment, and then with it there comes the peace. You see, and hopefully you're beginning to experience that even during these times of quiet abiding, where we're trying to develop. Um, you know the uh, the more passive side of the factors of enlightenment, the calmness, calmness of the body, just being still, calmness of the heart, yeah? stillness, the silence of the mind, all that comes under calmness in a way, and the attentiveness, just the ability to just be attentive, focused, not not particularly focused on any one thing, but just to be here. You know, and to to focus on whatever arises and passes away—that sort of very spacious, open awareness—and huh? the equanimity, just that ability, just the openness to what's coming into our field of awareness. Yeah. And just every so often to be like that, and just to rest within the present moment. You see, relaxing into the present moment, wide awake. And then, as you do that, after when it passes, you know, to ask yourself, now what was that like? You know, was that was that a pleasant place to be? Now, fair enough, we can get attached to that too, and then it becomes, then our practice becomes a sort of quietism, you know, that we're just seeking this lovely quiet place. You know, leave me alone, <laughs> get out of my way. <laughs> but then, of course, that's balanced because we then bring in these other factors, the more active factors of the of the process, which is that interest the interest of wanting to see 
the effort to to uh, to make to 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 begin to see things, and uh, you know the, the the effort to sort of remain at that point of interest and the investigation of the Dharma. So <clears throat> during your day, try to balance those things. Yeah? Just go through your day and say, well, this is when I'm practicing this samatha type meditation, you know, peaceful peaceful abiding, and this is when I'm doing vipassana. And get to know yourself, know where your weak points are during the day. And say, well, now here I've got to, you know, I mustn't fall asleep again. <laughs> or here I just let my mind go, you know, I sort of give up effort at this particular point in the day. And just catch your rhythms, you know, the they're probably also to do with just the natural rhythms of our bodies, you know, the circadian rhythms, as they call them, you know. I think that's right, isn't it, circadian? Yeah. So there's all those rhythms going on too, you see. So uh, once we've attained, once we've got to this, to this point of uh, observation, then we can, we can see all this happening. So let's just pause for a moment. Just whatever thoughts come up, let them come up and pass away. So let me encourage you to, uh, you know, keep putting in that little bit of effort. Um, for you know, Nick and Sarah have been here now for two weeks. You see, sort of coming to the end. So you have to be careful that, that your energy level doesn't doesn't drop. You know, <clears throat> more like the long distance runner. You know, like when you see that wire, <laughs> you've got to put on that little extra spurt you know, to get there. So that's important. And um, this is about your fourth day, isn't it, Arjun? So, in a sense, you, you hopefully you'll be sort of at more at ease with the with the schedule, with the regime. You see. So, with that, there's a danger of you know, well, this is this is now easier now, and there's a, a drop of of commitment, a drop of energy. So, you got to keep you got to keep lifting it. You got to keep seeing where the effort begins to drop. And you just very gently push yourself, see? That's what one of my teachers say, push gently. Okay? And then you see the energy comes, the energy comes. So keep going. That's all there is to it. May you be liberated sooner rather than later. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.